It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Your super special Sunday night here on Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 30 AM, Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Tom Barton Sports. Um, we've got Ryan, Chris Wynn's going to join us. The Last night described it as the biggest show, the favorite show of the year. And I always look at the day after the Super Bowl, kind of the new year, Heat Wave Sports. I don't know why it shows that as a mark, but I look at Tommy turning the page to the as the football season, kind of like starting the year off. So January first, we'll start it off here on February with a New Year sports, but we ended it with a hell of a football. What up, guys? Yeah, it really was, and and I don't want to hear any of the nonsense that it was a bad holding call. I don't want to hear that it took away from the Super Bowl. I don't want to hear anything. This was a really good game. It had the ebbs and flows of a team coming back. Uh, Kansas City jumping out to a good lead. It had a tie game for a lot of this game. It highlighted most offensive players. I mean, if you were a, a, an underbetter, man, you got crushed today. The books on the prop plays took a beating. I love all the amateur uh, you know, sports bettors out there posting their wins on pretty much the biggest prop play win game that's ever been in the NFL, right? Um that took a beating. I thought, I, I just thought that it was a great, great display for the NFL. And I'm not letting a, a questionable call, which to me wasn't questionable, but I'm not letting a questionable call cloud this in any way. Two great young quarterbacks, two dynamic teams. They were a fraction of an inch between each other coming into the game. Same record, same point scored. Uh, they both had a Kelsey brother. We saw all the graphics all the last two weeks, right? It played out like that. I mean, it really played out like that. With, what was it, you know, 11 seconds to go, this game was tied. And that's exactly what you wanted. We have gone from a generation that grew up with atrocious Super Bowls. You know, 55 to 10 type of Super Bowls. To now, we expect good games every year. We expect close, good games every year. This absolutely delivered, Tim. Radio personality Chris joining the Heat Wave crew. Chris, what's your thoughts on the game today? KC 38, Philly 35. That call at the end of the game, obviously, there's a lot of people out there. Look, there's a lot of people at the venue that I was at that had, you know, extenuating circumstances, let's put it that way, a.k.a. money on Philadelphia that were, uh, you know, up in arms, given the call. And I would concur with with Tommy on this, and I'm sure, Tim, you have your opinion as well, too. Yes, I didn't necessarily think it was egregious. I didn't think it was, you know, I thought the degree of the call was questionable at best. Let's put it that way. But uh, it wasn't completely outrageous. And there were were a bunch of other situations that presented themselves during the game that were equally as important, in my opinion, or in, in some situations, more important, a.k.a. 
you know, a catch that I felt that was made and that was completed and that, you know, and that was actually a possession that ended up turning into a touchdown for Kansas City that that took place. And then there was another obviously call a situation on the sidelines with Philadelphia where, you know, you had the ball changing hands in the air. And, you know, it was a question as whether or not there were two feet down. The point being is that, yes, was the call not a good call? Absolutely. But did it affect, you know, the outcome of the game in a, in a way where there should be people, you know, just just completely over the top outraged when it comes to Philadelphia? I don't think so. So I think that it was a, a game that was a classic. Um, I think it was two teams that were very evenly matched and it was back and forth. And you had, you know, a lot of aspects of uh, a Super Bowl and playoff games that that come into play where you've got, you know, kind of wacky situations with, with, uh, you know, field goals bouncing off of uh, goalposts and, you know, Tim and Tommy and uh, a bunch of us talked about this a matter of 24 hours ago, as far as prop bets. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know, interesting situations that present themselves without question in this football game, but uh, the Kansas city chiefs ended up coming out on top. And, uh, and uh, I thought that, uh, it was a, a very well-played football game from that standpoint. You know, guys, you know, just quickly to, to touch on the uh, pass interference call, I, yeah. I question if people understand or watch football that are questioning this call. I really did. Well, it wasn't. Well, Tommy, uh, Tommy, to be fair, it wasn't pass interference. It was defensive holding. Or and, defensive and, and, holding. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, but I do. I question if they watch a game. This is called mm-hmm. every day, all day. Yeah, they asked James Bradbury, the guy that that committed the call after the game in the locker room. He said, "Yeah, it was holding. I tugged his jersey. I was hoping they were going to let it slide." They yeah. asked Juju after the game. He said, "Oh yeah, a hundred percent. He's a good player, but the call is going to be called." This is a play that the casual football fan is is complaining. Come on, you can't call that. And the football fan that watches games for an eighteen game season and watches games consistently for years, goes, yeah, they're calling it every time. I mean, it, it, it's an obvious call. Anybody that is questioning this call just doesn't follow football, or, or they want to say, oh, come on, just just let them be, be illegal. Uh, guys, look, I had barely a dollar on this game, on the outcome of the game, okay? I had all kinds of prop plays, gave them last night. But this is an obvious call every day of the week. Well, Tommy and Tim, here's here's let me add to that as well, too. The people that were questioning it, Tommy, let's put all our cards to use a Vegas term, let's put all our cards on the table here. All right. The people that were complaining were either Philadelphia Eagle fans or people that bet on the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Let's be honest about it. That's what it was. I mean, it was and and yes, I absolutely agree with you. It's a call that's gonna be made that was made all throughout the regular season. And it was a call that was made. Was but was it ticky tack a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I agree that it was ticky tack. But to 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 make the stretch that it was oh my god, so completely egregious. Like how could they make that call? And it determined the outcome of the game. And it was the referees that decided the Super Bowl is a long, long, long stretch. And so that's kind of the point that I make. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know. Just to, to, to add to that, here's the other point. If he doesn't tug the jersey, I think Juju's dancing in the end zone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he breaks free. Yeah, look, there there was nobody behind him. I think he breaks free and he's 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 catching that ball for a touchdown. So you could have it that way as well. Well, there's no there's no doubt the only ones are people that bet on the Eagles or Eagles was right. And and really the go uh, missed call from what about the touchdown in the first in the second quarter where AJ Brown pushed off the secondary and you to get the score? Like we can go tit for tat all we want. The was that Tommy, you said it. That call was not so dastardly that it cost the Eagles. If anything, the Eagles cost themselves a Super Bowl, giving up 24 points in the. And to right, Tommy's Tim. point, to Tim, to Tommy's point too, right? If you wanted to play the speculation game, Tommy talked about the outcome if Juju was dancing in the end zone, right? How about this? It's not. It's it's not. It ends up going a no call, right? And the, and say the. Say obviously Kansas City doesn't uh, get the first down, right? So they kick the field goal. What, why are we just making the assumption that the Philadelphia Eagles are just going to march down the field and tie the football game, right? Kansas right. City absolutely could end up forcing a turnover. Kansas City could absolutely force a situation in which they go four and out because obviously you know the, the Eagles are going to play. You know, go it's four down territory the whole way down, or something's going to happen. This idea that the Philadelphia Eagles were going to – oh, they were absolutely going to tie the game up even if, if Butker kicks the field goal and t- gives them the lead is ridiculous. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different directions you can go here and ways you can look at it. But, I look, I, I you know, and in full disclosure, you know, I, I was having discussions with, you know, some fellow media members here in Las Vegas that, that, that absolutely had, you know, a dog in the fight when it came to uh, – when it came to wagering on the Philadelphia Eagles and you know, they, they were just up in arms and just, they were totally in the camp of the Philadelphia Eagles got totally screwed. The refs decided the football game. <laughs> it was a situation in which the referees, you know, stepped in and when it was the most egregious call basically in NFL history, that was kind of the viewpoint, which I completely and utterly disagreed with. Guys, how about this? Here's, Here's why the Eagles lost. The Chiefs in the second half, zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero punts, zero sacks allowed in the game, one completion, throwaway pass by Mahomes. That's mm-hmm. why they lost. Uh, you know, it is the same people that continuously complain that the world's against them, right? That it's a bad call. They couldn't possibly have just been a terrible handicap right couldn't possibly go out there and 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 just get something wrong no 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 no. we're gonna complain we're gonna cry we're gonna we're gonna you know come up with 18 reasons why this shouldn't have happened the game like tim said the game should have not even been that close in the first place because of a push off here or there uh you look at dallas goddard even the announcers are saying hey look his second foot wasn't down there was a lot of those kind of things but at the end of the day who cares? It was a game that was played that I think we got a great game. Despite anything that any of these crying, whining Eagles fans want to say, we got a great game. We got a phenomenal game. Jalen Hurts had one of the few games that I could possibly say you might have thought about giving the MVP to the losing quarterback, except he really fumbled the ball and gave the Chiefs what eventually uh, could be deemed as the game winner. So they're not going to give it to him. But he had a, a, an out-of-his-mind kind of game. Mahomes became Mahomes late in that game. He had a great game overall. So I think this game delivered everything that it wanted to. 
And, and like Tim said, unless you're an Eagles fan that's crying and complaining, or you're a better that just doesn't understand the game itself, that doesn't understand football, and you're just looking for a reason, this was an absolute classic. Is it the greatest Super Bowl of all time? No. Is it in the top five? Maybe. I mean, that's where we're sitting here. This might be one of those type of games. Chiefs 38, Eagles 35. So they win their second Super Bowl under the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes regime. So let's do it, Tom. We we prefaced it last week. We talked about it again last night. Twin almost drove off the road when I said if they to, uh, tomorrow that Mahomes is a bust. Is he now now in that echelon of, of quarterbacks, Tommy? He wins his second. Yeah, he absolutely well, Tim, I got to say, right? And Tommy, like, look, it's got to be a situation where he's just kind of building on his legacy, right? You're talking about a guy who's basically just entering into his prime, right? He's entering to year 27, 28, and he's probably, uh, you know, look, I, look, Pat Mahomes is somebody that uh, has been banged up a little bit as of late. So is he going to be somebody that, that rolls into his late 30s as a quarterback in the NFL? Maybe not. But you can absolutely say that he has at least seven to eight to nine years left in the league. So I think this is still an opportunity for him to kind of build on his legacy and continue to do that. Now, look, he's got two Super Bowl wins already. He has the MVP. He's already regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But uh, to Tommy's point, I kind of want to push back a little bit, Tommy. I mean, I, I think you were alluding to uh, your, your opinion that the, the Eagles were going to just kind of roll this game or, or, or the Eagles were in the driver's seat throughout most of this game, or, or they should have been. We have to acknowledge at least, I think, the aspect that was Pat Mahomes, right? The whole dynamic. I mean, this is the situation in, what, the third quarter, I believe, where he gets basically rolled on his legs there. And, I mean, there was a there was an a audible gasp among the people who I was uh, watching the game with. And a lot of us who, by the way, had money on Kansas City, I had them minus three and a half, so I was – uh, ended up, uh, you know, on the, on the losing end of that. But the point being is that basically there was the uh, the uh, the insinuation and the assumption for a lot of us that uh, that we were in trouble and that the game could be over and that Philadelphia was going to uh, handle their business. Obviously, that wasn't the case as as, as Pat Mahomes pulled a uh, varsity blues, I, a.k.a. you know Bud Kilmer in the locker room. I I don't know what I you got to give all kinds of credit to this Kansas City Chiefs training staff to get him ready for that second half. Or, you know, maybe it just wasn't as bad as we thought it was. But uh, Pat Mahomes was able to go out there, and you, I mean, you saw some, like, basically multiple rushes in the second half where he's going for, you know, 15, 20 yards. It was uh, rather extraordinary. But, I, but it, it, it was a big part of the story was that Pat Mahomes was able to go out there and perform still on an elite level there in the second half and uh, and just basically will this team to a victory, and it was a uh, it was a big key as to why Kansas City was able to win this football game. Patrick Mahomes became Patrick Mahomes in the second half, and mm -hmm. and when you look at the greatest players that have played the sport, have played the position, we're talking about a handful of guys. We most of us that are listening have seen the greats of the greats. Okay. And this is no, uh, no offense to, you know, the autograms of the world. Right. But, but most of us have seen the greats of the greats. That was a, a great, great second half. Was it a great Super Bowl? No, it was a great second half, but it was just Patrick Mahomes esque, right? Like you said, um, 
getting rolled up, I think that it was it was overblown when you saw Patrick Mahomes walking back to the locker room, seemingly perfectly okay, uh, but it adds to the mystique. When you see him run out of the pocket on a run that, look, almost every quarterback in the NFL could make. Right? I mean, Brady could have ran that ball because it was yeah. so wide open. But it's on the ankle, so it's the mystique. There's a lot of building a player's mystique when you're talking about the greats, right? When you're talking about the greats, it's not when you do it, it's how you do it. Do it with style. Do it on a big stage. Do it in the second half of a Super Bowl on a rolled ankle, right? I mean, that's why I think Mahomes shoots up the board. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I I look at Patrick Mahomes' early career. I'm not looking at him and talking about him uh, among the top five greats. He reminds me a lot of Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, for a very brief time, was absolutely unstoppable. A couple of MVPs, a couple of Super Bowls. You know, I I mean, that's what what we are looking at with Patrick Mahomes. Different type of player, but the same kind of impact. But where you, you start to get annoyed with Patrick Mahomes, and he starts to, maybe if he's not there now, he could start to become a villain, is that people just don't like to see it all the time. With winning, people just don't like it. Patrick Mahomes is a very likable guy. If you enjoy football, you enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes play football, right? You enjoy the dynamic that the Kansas City Chiefs, they were plus 400 at the half to come back and win that game, plus seven and a half live betting. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes said, okay, no problem. Go in the locker room, make the adjustments, even though the Mannings don't think that that quarterbacks make adjustments. Well, Andy Reid did. And you come out in the second half and you have that kind of second half. I I read the numbers again unbelievable basically just completely perfect to the second half but he did it with the mystique that you're talking about chris the well another big key too you talked about the numbers right tommy you want to talk about extraordinary numbers how about this patrick mahomes zero interceptions zero turnovers zero fumbles zero sacks against this philadelphia eagles defense that has been you know basically for the last two weeks before the Super Bowl has been vaunted about, right? People have been lauding this defense, talking about how it could be, you know, a, a, a monster key as it should be, right? If they're going to if they're going to win the Super Bowl, and the fact that the guy absolutely was never on his back all day long, you know, uh, you know, a QBR, whatever. I mean, you can talk about it. He's you know almost one thirty two with QBR, but uh, you know, not monster numbers as far as yardage. You know, at one eighty two with three, but three touchdown passes. You know, pretty efficient at 21 out of 27. But the fact that he was never on his back, the fact that he never threw that, you know, back-breaking interception, the fact that he was never sacked at all by, you know, and people were talking about, you know, some some players on this Philadelphia defense winning the MVP in this game. And it was just end up being a shootout. And I was, look, I put in my mouth for, for myself because I thought this game was going to be like a 24 the 17 type of game without question, right? And it just absolutely blew up into a situation where offenses were going up and down the field and you end up with, you know, uh, you know, north of 70 points in a game that was never even, you, you were never even sniffing the under in this game. So, uh, you know, when you want to talk about it from a number standpoint, right, Tom and Timmy, it, it's him. It was like, no question. Uh, there were some extraordinary numbers across the board. Guys, is the... 10-point lead, equivalent of a two-goal key, the most unsafe lead to have when you're when you're playing a sport. Doesn't it seem like a 10-point lead just way right in front of your eyes? I mean, the Eagles, I think the Chiefs scored about 
to go in the third quarter. So already a quarter and a half away from putting this 10-point lead. And just like we see in hot Tom, two-goal lead all the way on a goal. Tim, teams that were uh, down by 10 points in the Super Bowl were 1-26. and 26. Wow. They're now 2-26. and 26. <laughs> Wow. Another crazy number, right, Tommy? Another crazy number right there. So, and look, Tim, to your point, though, look, it, it is, it, you know, two touchdown leads should be monstrous, right? But they tend not to be against teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, teams like the 2022 Los Angeles Rams, teams like the 2000 Los Angeles Rams, right? There are certain teams in which, you know, it's not necessarily such a burden as opposed to some others, especially when you get to playoff time. Tom, you know, I do it. want to just, just bring up that uh, that point that Chris made about the, the sacks. And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it with Patrick Mahomes because he he did. Look, he's he's agile in the par- pocket. But this was a lot of case of, hey, let's give a lot of uh, accolades to the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. But I think we touched on it last night where I said, look, this defense has faced nobody. You know, and you go out there and you see it once again here. They have faced now three quarterbacks since October 17th that were you know, good quarterbacks, Dak, Rodgers, and Mahomes. And they got lit up in all those cases. Before the game, and look, obviously this touches a nerve with me. Before the game, there go, oh, most sacks since the 85 Bears and the 85 Bears. I heard the 85 Bears mentioned like five times, and I'm going, did they watch the same Eagles team that I watched in 2022, right? Because – there was never a moment that I thought that this Eagles defense was 85 Bears-esque, you know, Ravens-esque, a steel, a steel curtain-esque. No, not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. So while I want to throw and heap all the kind of accolades down on this offensive line, and they deserve a lot, there's also a lot to go – what we talked about last night. The Eagles were not tested all year, and they were finally tested. No one's going to go out there and say the Chiefs offensive line is a great unit. It's actually uh, one of the Achilles heels of Kansas City. They performed well tonight. Or is it that the Philadelphia Eagles shrunk in the big moment? Well, I'll yeah. do you one better, right, Tommy? Like you talked about, you know, not talked about. It, you, when, you, when you think about some, you know, the weaknesses, right, of the, Kansas, of the Kansas City Chiefs, the offensive line absolutely is one of those that was brought up and was thought to be exposed once they got to this game against the, the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously, you know, the Philadelphia defense was talked about as a strength. So that was kind of a uh, just a strange scenario without question that uh, that played out that way in which, you know, Kansas City's offensive line was able to hold their own. And, uh, you know, and and on the other side of things, when it came to the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, look, I mean, sports books probably cleaned up, right? Because I, I believe Kansas City had, what, two sacks in the game and both the sacks were from uh, – Either Chanel or I think Sanders, Saunders or, or Chanel were the two guys that got the sack. So obviously, you know, the other big names on the Kansas City defense weren't the guys getting it, I, a.k.a. Chris Jones and some others that weren't getting sacks. So, uh, yeah, from from the prop standpoint of sacks, it was, it was probably tough for a lot of the betters that hit the window looking for their guys to get one. Tom, I, I don't remember the exact – was it one or two – that were on the Eagles last night. I know our buddy Brian Feldman was, and that's what he said, that the Eagles defensive front would live in the backfield city this game, which absolutely didn't. But, you know, I see where he was going with it. If you go 
happened during the season, you would assume top-ranked defense exposed that offensive line. And I, I have to go with you. I think maybe the Eagles shrunk, not the Chiefs uh, all of a sudden got, gained this superpower on the offensive line, but was was the only one that took the Eagles line? No, two people took the Eagles. Somebody else took the Eagles. Maybe it was our caller. Maybe it was Mario. Yeah. Two people took the Eagles. Yeah. You're right. turning point in this game other than Tommy that just Kansas City had the time to come back and you know when you talk about mistakes so you said a very interesting thing that could Jalen Hurts win the MVP if he doesn't fumble that ball and score they score a touchdown I think he could Tom if Mahomes doesn't get that that uh down off the punt return that that up or set up that easy touchdown I think that possibly could have was that fumble intricate in point in this game was it just that he was able to establish offensively in the second half. I mean, was it was it just the game? Is there anything major to you that stood out? I think what stood out here, Tim, um, is is going into the locker room at the half and Andy Reid going, "Okay, I see what they're doing. I, I see what we have," and completely changing his game plan. The first half of that game, it was all Travis Kelsey, right? It was pepper Travis Kelsey, get Travis Kelsey the ball, get him the ball, get him, and all of a sudden, Andy Reid went into the locker room and he said, "We're going to switch it up." Now, remember last night I talked to you guys about Mike Hilton being five foot nine, right? And somebody was going to take advantage. Marquez Valdez Scantling basically didn't exist in this game, right? And they were trying to get Travis Kelsey matched up in the middle of the field against one of the smaller guys, but the Eagles weren't allowing that. The Eagles said, "No, we're not. We're not doing that. We're not allowing that." What happened in the second half? It became the juju fest, right? Juju. One, two, three, four. I think he had six catches in the second half. He was getting peppered with balls all day long, and they were running an angry Isaiah Pachenko. He was angry running all day. He was going crazy. So first half, it was all Travis Kelsey try to push the ball downfield, try to open up the middle of the field. Okay, that's not working. Let's go to something else. That is the beauty of Andy Reid. And that, that to me, was the turning point. The turning point was giving Andy Reid Extra time. Remember, they didn't go in for 15 minutes, you know, because of that ridiculous halftime show. The halftime shows are always extra time. He had 20, 25 minutes to sit back and go, okay, what are they doing? What can we do differently? Juju didn't have a catch, guys, right? And then he comes out and owns the second half, especially the fourth quarter. Pachenko was just absolutely brutal in the first half uh, with with trying to get him space, but he couldn't find space, and they just said, okay, now we're going to feed you. That is two completely different offenses that the Eagles played. They played offense one in the first half and then offense two in the second half. That, to me, is the turning point, giving Andy Reid the extra time to switch his play calling around. I was so impressed. As much as everybody's going to heap praise on Patrick Mahomes, and they should, I was more impressed with Andy Reid and the play calling of that team and what they did and how they effectively did it as much as I was with Patrick Mahomes executing the play call. And Tim, let me add on to what Tommy said as far as that coming out of into the third quarter there after that long halftime show. There's no question that Kansas City having the football there and then going down and scoring a touchdown there, right, where you get Pacheco getting that one-yard touchdown run. Look, it wouldn't. it just wouldn't have been – as good of a situation if Kansas City would have went down and kicked a field goal and made it a seven-point game. It was absolutely you know, instrumental 
that uh, they were able to get that touchdown there going, you know, but coming out in the third quarter and making that a 24-21 game. And then another key point I thought in, in this game was obviously the touchdown to Tony there in the fourth quarter, you know, to give them the lead, by, but also the Sky Moore touchdown, right? It gives them an eight-point lead there. And you've got, you know, it's, 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 you give a lot of confidence to the Kansas City Chiefs there in that situation. Now, look, obviously the, the, you know, the Eagles come back and end up tying the football game. Then you get Jalen Hurts, you know, running for that two point conversion after the touchdown run. And, and we've got a tie ball game. And then it's, it's, uh, you know, it's game on from there. But giving the Kansas City Chiefs that confidence and then coming out, as Tommy talked about, coming out in the third quarter and scoring a touchdown there instead of making a field goal. I think was big time for the Chiefs in this game to kind of build their confidence, and especially given you know there there was such a question about uh, you know Pat Mahomes' health at that point when it came to that ankle. Weren't those Guys, the two? Else I Go ahead, Tim. Tommy, weren't those the two variables that we had stand out? Was we all thought Kansas City had the better, and I'm not talking particularly better leader and the better head coach in Andy Reid both came to fruition in this game yeah absolutely and that was their undoing uh, i will say this though if you watch the pregame show and usually i don't get to watch the pregame show i'm in a loud sports book and it's going crazy but watch some of the pregame show here and sean payton was on and he made a great point sean payton came on the pregame show and he said guys we've been talking about this for two weeks he said you guys have been on the pregame show for for however long and i'm paraphrasing you know and he said has there been one, uh, you know, little segment on a kicker? Has there been one segment on a special teams player? Has there been one segment on a you know a gunner? No. And he goes, but there are three portions of the game. So he, his idea was who's going to win the special teams. Now, I know that we go back and we look at Harrison Bucker and the kick. I will tell you, Tommy Townsend blasting the ball time after time was huge. Kadarius Tony on the kick return was massive, and that's going to get lost in history. How good the special teams units were! I, I think the Chiefs' special teams were massively better than what Philadelphia put to the table. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Chris Wynn with the Super Super Sunday Night Edition as we break down the big game, the Super Bowl. KC wins their second one. Here in the last four seasons, when we come back, yes, more Super Bowl talk. We'll take a look at what's ahead for these teams. I know Tommy is going to give us a free play. Yes, there's a free play in football, even though the season's over, but Tommy's got one for us. We're talking about some other football notes as well. It's an all-football Sunday night here on Feet Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. You, baby, this is you! No, no, You must show us some respect. It's a seesaw battle. Neither offense can move. Colts driving now with the ball. Armadillos better stop him. Now, how could the ref call that? It was a clean kick to the face mask. Guys, going in. Illegal contact. Number 51. Sinkutsu Alba thrust. To the up back, Oimawatsu roundhouse lunge kick to the quarterback. Take it on the end sword block to the. Never mind. 15 yards, first down. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. 
and Chris Wynn here on a Super Sunday night. You heard Ari say he waves sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, every Saturday and Sunday, 10 to midnight. And here we go again, Tom. Next week, next Saturday, we're off for Vegas Golden Knights. But Sunday, we're back at it. We're back at it. Ah, we deserve a break after two days in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not used to it. We, you know, it's it's like when you go back to the gym for the first time, right? You gotta you gotta ease your way back into it. So, thirty-eight, thirty-five, the Chiefs win it. Patrick Mahomes is second MVP. So, let's turn the page, gentlemen. Let's look ahead to what's next. And I'll start in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, unbelievable performance. Three hundred yards in the air. Four total touchdowns. Three on the ground team that finished 16 and four overall this season unbelievable run tom what's up with the eagles for next season i think it comes crashing down for the eagles next season Uh, i'm gonna be honest um i know it's the super bowl hangover we always talk about it and everything else but the eagles are set up to win right now uh you have guys like lane johnson that are getting up there you have uh, obviously jason kelsey there could be some retirements let's also remember that this team went out there and made a concentrated effort in the middle of the season to go and shore up their running defense because their run defense was bad, getting guys like Indomit and Sue. Uh, they grabbed three guys off the basically off their scrap heap, literally off their couches in some cases, that were into their upper 30s and said, hey, you want to play for a quick year? I'll try to get a Super Bowl ring. Uh, those guys, they're not coming back, presumably, right? So you have concerns about that. Miles Sanders, I know that Boston Scott and Gainwell are nice, Miles Sanders is up for a contract. Um, you look at Dallas Goddard and the combination that you always run with him with a, a separate tight end. Well, he's going to be up for a contract. So you have a lot of it was a win now kind of mentality. That's number one. Number two, let's just be flat, frank. We talked about it last night. We'll talk about it again here. They were a product of a very, very weak schedule. Very weak schedule. And in their weak schedule, they do have two teams in their division. That actually made the playoffs. So I think the Eagles take a a pretty large step backwards next year. Where it stands right now, there's a lot of free agency stuff to go on. There's a lot of trade speculation stuff to go on. There's obviously the draft to go. And I could change my tune. But if you're asking me right now, in a very weak NFC, what happens to the Eagles next year? They're more of a 10-win team fighting to get a wild card spot than they are the number one overall seed. Wow, Tim, interesting take there from Tommy, given that you think about, you know, that possibility. You're talking about, you know, an NFL team, possibly the the shortest window of opportunity in NFL history, right? If the Eagles uh, end up doing take that take that trajectory, in fact. And uh, I guess you got to kind of got a feel, too, for Nick Sirianni, right? Because this puts him in a tough spot where, you know, if a lot of the things that uh, Tommy was talking about end up coming true, you know, it's a it's a guy that's supposed to be, you know, one of the young and up and coming coaches in the NFL. And you end up taking a step back like that where you're, you know, basically on the verge of winning the Super Bowl and getting to the big game. And now you're wallowing amongst, you know, you know, basically uh, maybe a little bit better than mediocrity. But you're, you know, fighting for a playoff spot in the NFC. And look, we understand that there are teams in the NFC that, uh, you know, are on their way up and they're trying to ascend when it comes to, uh, you know, teams like in their, in their division, for example, you know, like, the, like you know, the Washington Commanders and like the 
New York Giants, like the, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys, like, you know, a team in the NFC North, like, like uh, my Detroit Lions, right? I mean, there's teams that are going to be looking to ascend in the NFC and uh, teams looking to reclaim where they were too. teams like the Los Angeles Rams. And then of course the San Francisco 49ers as well too, but uh, make no mistake about it. If, uh, if Tommy, if what you're saying is coming true, my friend, this is uh, you, you want to talk about short windows. Uh, this is absolutely it when you're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Chris, let, let, let me read you the unrestricted free agents that they have, which is 20. Yeah. Okay. Fletcher mm-hmm. Cox, Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave, Jason Kelsey, James Bradbury, uh, Siamulo, Dillard, Kazir White, TJ Edwards, and Dominican Sue, Linville Joseph, Boston Scott, Zach Pascal, Miles Sanders, Rick Lovato, Gardner Johnson, Tyree Jackson, Gardner Minshew, and Marcus Epps. You have a 20 person. Unrestricted free agents, which includes <laughs> oh by the way, oh by the way, Fletcher Cox, defensive tackle, Jahan Hargrave, uh, Javon Hargrave, defensive tackle, Dominic Sue, defensive tackle, Linvale Joseph, defensive tackle. All four of your starting defensive tackles are 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 unrestricted free agents. How about Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, both of your defensive ends? So we just talked about great defensive line, getting the pressure, leading the league in sacks. This group that had the most uh, snaps, okay, when you're talking about the most snaps from the time that they signed uh, both Linville, Joseph, and Gnomic and Sue, were these these six players. They were the starters. They're losing potentially all of your starting defensive linemen, all of them. That is incredible. Then you go, Jason Kelsey might retire, Siamulu, Dollard. So last night, you know, when, uh, you know, we had people calling in and, and Jason you know, Feldman said, well, they're better in the trenches. He was right. They do have good trenches and that's where they live. You could potentially lose two or three starting offensive tackle, uh, offensive linemen, including their star tackle. You could lose all of your defensive front guys. Are they going to lose them all? I don't know. But I'm reading ages. 33, 34, 32, 33. 35, 34. These are the ages. I don't know if they come back. I didn't even mention Lane Johnson, by the way, who's 33 and thinking about retiring. I didn't mention that. I think it's a mass exodus for them. They got to the Super Bowl. And they're unrestricted free agents up against the cap. They went out. They put all their chips in the middle of the table. Go trade for Robert Quinn. Go get Linville Joseph. Go get Indomitian and Sue. Here we go. We're making our run. And it came up just short. Let's let's also look at the fact that apparently their offensive coordinator Shane Steichen, a former UNLV quarterback, is going to become the new guy in Indianapolis. So so they're going to lose somebody off that the coaching staff, like we always see, right? Right, Chris and Tommy, we always see the the coaching staffs get cherry picked. Hey, look, I'm not disagreeing with Tommy whatsoever, Tim. Right when he when he reads off that list, I mean, Tommy used the word it's it's great, it's extraordinary when you hear that list of people, it could absolutely be a major fall off when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles and, you know, their uh, position on the totem pole that is the NFC, without question, given you have all those names and all those guys, you know, who are questionable as to whether or not they're going to return or whether or not what their status is going to be or et cetera, et cetera. It is a, uh, 
it's a tough spot. And uh, again, like I said, I feel for for Nick Sirianni because right, right Tommy. I mean, we're ta- th- when you talk Nick Sirianni, he's supposed to be one of those young coaches that's supposed to be up and coming and is supposed to kind of ascend to the level of, uh, you know, of, of the coach in Los Angeles with the Rams, of, you know, numerous coaches across the league that are supposed to be contending for championships, you know, later on down the road. And a lot of people are going to say, look, at the end of the day, you have a good head coach. Clearly, a guy goes to the Super Bowl, he's a good head coach. And you have a good quarterback, which means you could patch things together and get it, get it done. And, uh, you know, you, you're not going to fall off the cliff. I'm not even saying that this team is going to go out there and, you know, not make the playoffs. No, but I think 14 wins was a high water mark built with a lot of things that they're going to fall off. We have watched just, you know, this year, the Rams looked unstoppable. Next year, the Rams are going to be back. The Niners are going to be back, obviously. Seattle looks like a team that's ascending in the right direction. You look at, uh, you know, you laugh, but your Lions are ascending in the right direction. Minnesota's not going away. The Giants are only going to get better uh, when they start to get actual pieces. Dallas is going to get better. Mm -hmm. Guys, I just named seven teams, right? I mean, that's your seven playoff teams. So who's Philly knocking out of there? Sure, you could say the Giants or Dallas, both have made the playoffs. You could say Minnesota, maybe Detroit's not quite ready. Yeah, but again, it's not out of the realm of possibility when when you start to talk about a team, the night that they lose the Super Bowl with 20 unrestricted free agents. And we're not talking about depth, depth chart guys, man. We are talking about absolute studs and elite players on their team could be walking away. So... What about the champs? What about the Chiefs, Tom? Two, two now in the last four years. What's what's uh, their outlook look like? Well, you know the Chiefs are going to be back, right up there because they have Reed and they have the best player in the sport. Okay, you look at their free agents, guys like Joe Forston, you know Tommy Townsend, who I said was good, but you know Nicole Hardman, Jarek McKinnon, uh, Michael Burton. Chad Henney announces retirement. Ronald Jones, uh, Juju, Carlos Dunlop, a couple of decent players. But basically, if you were out going out there and you're listing the most important Kansas City Chiefs, they're all under contract. The Chris Jones of the world, uh, you know, the Nick Boltons of the world on defense. On the offensive side, obviously Mahomes, Pachenko's getting another year under his belt. They just signed Kadarius Toney, Jason Kelsey. I mean, Travis Kelsey, you, you look at, their key positions, they're going to be back. The thing with the Chiefs, though, is that it takes a lot to get there when you're in the AFC. So the Chiefs could be just as good as they were this year, next year, and they could not have the same success. Still got to go through Josh Allen and Buffalo, who I know they fell a little bit, but you're telling me you're, you're going to write them off? How about Joe Burrow? And Cincinnati, I'm not writing them off. They're going to be right there. I think your Baltimore Ravens, if they sign Lamar, can be a factor. Justin Herbert's got a new uh, situation there, maybe. I don't know. Do they bring in some help for him? He can be a threat. Sean Payton with Russell Wilson, it's got to scare you a little bit. Maybe not in the playoffs, but during the regular season. And if the Chiefs don't get home field throughout, who knows what this team can be. So I don't see the Chiefs falling off at all. There will be a playoff team for sure. I think they win the division, sure. But once you get into the AFC and you get into that playoff mindset in the AFC, 
I mean, it's a crapshoot. Anything can happen. We have watched it happen time and time again. And I think the AFC is absolutely loaded. So I think Kansas City will be right back in the thick of things. I think, you know, Kansas City wins that division. But for me to go out here and say that they go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl again, I think that's a little far-fetched right now just because it's hard to continue to go back. Yeah, I absolutely concur, Tommy. And look, there's obviously a couple teams also in the AFC that you didn't mention that uh, we were talking about in the break, of course, that could, uh, you know, ruffle some feathers as well, too. You're talking about Jacksonville, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence down there in Duval County with the Jaguars. And then, of course, uh, look, the Los Angeles Chargers, a team obviously that has talent. They're they're a team that could – that could make some noise when it comes to the AFC West. So those are two more teams in the AFC that that, that Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid and company have to deal with with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I don't think there's any question that uh, you look at the, the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, and uh, we already talked about Philadelphia and what they face as far as the NFC is concerned, but it's not going to be any cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination with the Kansas City Chiefs at all in the AFC. And uh, – there are absolutely some formidable candidates, and uh, Tommy brought up some, and I just brought up a couple more that are going to be challenging Kansas City in the AFC, and it's going to make it very difficult. So, uh, you know, and look, a lot of people are also going to say, too, uh, reflecting on these playoffs, that, you know, Kansas City was fortunate, right? Kansas City, you know, was fortunate in the game against Cincinnati to get that victory. They're going to say they were fortunate in this game against Philadelphia to get this victory. And uh, they're not going to not necessarily going to take away from their success, but they're also going to understand that, look, this is a, a team that can be beat. Right. And it's a team that is not exactly invincible in any way, shape or form. So that's that's also something that comes into play when you talk about this Kansas City team and what they're going to face with the AFC in 2023. Tom, I know, you know, they have the seventh, Tim, they have the seventh youngest roster in the NFL. They're set up well for the future, for sure. I know you know that they've already released odds on next year's Super Bowl champion. You want to break that down for us and give us your annual free pick for who you like right off. You usually bet it tomorrow, right? So you're going to bet it tomorrow. Who are you betting? Yeah, I'm going to bet it tomorrow. I, I like to do this. It's just one of those things I take a shot at. I'm speculating on a lot of things. Um, you know, I speculate on, on last year on Lamar Jackson being signed, right? I, I'm speculating on free agency, speculating on a lot of stuff. So we'll start at the Chiefs, 6-1 to one right up top. They are the favorites once again. The Bengals are coming in plus 850. After that, the Bills 9-1, to one, Eagles 9-1, to one, Niners 9-1. to one. Cowboys are 14-1, to one, Ravens 18-1, to one, Chargers 20-1. to one. Lions, Packers, Jaguars, and Jets 25-1. to one. Rams, Dolphins, Saints, 30 to 1. The Browns, Broncos, Raiders, Vikings, Giants, 40 to 1. Panthers, Patriots, Steelers, Commanders, 50 to 1. Bears, Seahawks, Titans, 66 to 1. Falcons, Buccaneers, 80 to 1. And the Colts, Cardinals, 150 to 1. Texans, 300 to 1. So I'll tell you, I have a, I have a couple of options here. Um, I like to take. Not quite a long shot, but some long shots. I'm looking at the these numbers. I'm going, look, there's no way I'm betting the Chiefs, the Bengals, Bills, Eagles, Niners. Not at 9-1. to one. I could get that during the year. Cowboys are 14-1. to one. I don't buy into the Ravens. No way. I don't know what Lamar's situation is, right? 
Chargers, ah, they didn't switch their coach. Lions, first make the playoffs, then then get me there. So the Jets, Rams, Rams are interesting at 30-1 to because if they do come back healthy with Stafford and McVay and Donald, yeah, that is an interesting one at 30-1. to I circled that. I think people will be on the Saints because they should pretty much win that division, but I don't know who the starting quarterback is, guys, right? No way I'm betting on Watson and the Browns. You go down, no confidence in the Broncos, Raiders, Vikings. I'm trying to find something. Now, the Vikings and Giants at 40-1, to a little interesting. Once again, I think there's some turmoil in those rosters. I don't love them, but they're both intriguing. The Seahawks at 66-1, to guys, that is actually intriguing. Seahawks at 66-1, to do I think that they get there? No, I think they have too many defensive holes, but that's a team I'll be keeping an eye on. So for me, it comes to between two teams. In the break, Tim said to me, I think you're taking the Jags at 25-1. to I said, yeah, I'm looking uh-huh. at them. I'm looking at them. I have been high on the Jags for years. 25-1 to makes a little bit of sense. But the other one that I'm looking at, I, I might do a first and actually bet two. If I could get the Rams at 30-1, to that makes a lot of sense, guys. If McVay is thinking maybe this is the last go through here and Stafford saying, yeah, maybe, maybe he's going to make this the last time Cooper cup coming back healthy. Donald is there. They have a short window. We know it. And one injury could really derail, derail this team, but in a week, NFC 30 to one odds on the Rams. That's intriguing. Jacksonville will probably be my pick though. Yeah. Quickly guys. Look, I have all the respect in the world for teams like the Kansas city chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals, and obviously a few teams in the NFC. But I want so bad Tim Oglesby and Tommy Martin. I want so bad for the Buffalo Bills to, to, to realize their potential. I, I just I just, I just, think this team is right there. I mean, I, I want to believe so bad that they are on the verge of being a team that wins a Super Bowl and can break through that glass ceiling that Buffalo Bills fans haven't been able to see for decades, I really do want it. Now, look, here in, in 2022, 23, obviously, it was a big blow to the team's psyche when you have an injury like that on the field, which is, you know, can be nerve-wracking and just, you know, uh, can shake your nerves to the core. And I thought that had an impact on them. And, look, they have to find a way, I guess. Maybe they can find a way to avoid playing the Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs. I don't know if that's exactly feasible. But that being said, I mean, I just want Tommy. Tim, I really want to believe that the Buffalo Bills can be the team that uh, that can finally, you know, reach the mountaintop when it comes to winning a Super Bowl and uh, and get that fan base there all uh, all kinds of juiced up by uh, bringing the Lombardi Trophy back there to uh, to uh, upstate New York. I think Tom said it best <clears throat> because I agree, Chris. You would yeah. think Buffalo is the next team up, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's easy in baseball when you talk about watching the franchises build towards a, a World Series title. But in football, Tom said it, the AFC is so loaded year after yeah. year that even that team that should be there sometimes just can't get over the hump. And that's what the Buffalo Bills have been, right? I mean, we're talking about a team that's been, you know, you want to talk about hype, right? For the last two seasons alone, it's been a team that has just – it's almost like an expectation that they were going to take that next step that you talked about, Tim. 
and they unfortunately haven't been able to do it and there's been they or they've run into roadblocks or they've run into teams that have just been better on a given day come playoff time and uh so i i mean it's again you know i look i don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to the buffalo bills i'm nowhere near a buffalo bills fan or even you know put any type of wager on them uh, across the board when it comes to their success but i do still have that expectation that that's a team that can, uh, can actually get over the hump and uh, and get a Super Bowl victory. Yeah, I look at the Buffalo Bills, and I've been on them for a couple of years. You guys know that. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Josh Allen fan. You know that. Um, but they look like a team that, that their window is closing, right? They look like a team that they had their window. They had their chance. If they don't get it done, we saw a little riff with Stephon Diggs potentially. Um, what do you What do you add to that team? To kind of get them over the hump. That, that's always what I always try to figure out. Hey, oh, you're going to go out there and add a Saquon Barkley. Well, listen, I think Cook and Singletary did a fine job. What are you going to go add? You're going to go, oh, I got to add an offensive line. They spent a lot of money on offensive line. It's the defense that was the problem. They spent a ton of draft capital, a ton of money on that defensive front, and they just are not performing. So what do they need? I mean, maybe a, maybe a healthy Von Miller changes things. Maybe. I look at them and I go, I just don't know what their problem is. So I don't know how to fix it. And if I don't know how to fix it, maybe they don't know how to fix it. Heat Wave Sports, hour one in the books here on a super Sunday night. We come back, yes, more football. We'll go around the league and take a look at some of the news and notes that have dropped here in the last few days. And then we'll get back to the Super Bowl because obviously we have to talk about the non-aspects of the Super Bowl that was played on the field, talking about the commercials, the uh, pregame Post game, and of course, break down all the winning that was happening today with prop bets. I know Tom has a nice little piece about that. All that in hour two Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, Tom Barton, Ryan, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Hour two. Wave Sports here on a Super Sunday Night Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13.40 AM. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris Wynn. Tommy, you said last night you're doing the DX chop in your living room, but nobody was around. Today, were you doing the DX chop winning those prop bets with everybody around? (laughs) Let me tell you something. I was very excited. I am somebody like I could watch a game and have, you know, five grand, 10 grand on the game and, and, and not, not react, but there are certain times where you just, you go crazy. And once it starts, it just continues to go. So I had the first touchdown score I gave you guys last night, right? So I had the under 11 and a half. I was already pumped up because if you remember number 14 scored, Kenneth Gainwell scored. Mm -hmm. And then I'm screaming, he didn't get it. Right. So I'm already pumped up. Then J- Jalen Hurts gets in. So I win that first bet. I Now I know it's going to be a, a pretty good game and uh, a good day for me. I hit that. I hit the Nick Bolton. By the way, Nick Bolton had a heck of a game. Um, he wound up getting nine tackles. I was under 10 and a half. So that I was pretty large on Nick Bolton. Uh, I, I wound up hitting Jarek McKinnon. I split this. I had Jarek McKinnon under five and a half carries under 23 and a half yards. So I split that. That's the only play that I lost. I had that. I had some stuff on Kelsey, a little bit on Casey. And the big bet that I told you guys about that I went down and, uh, I, you know, a couple grand on a prop play, which is, you know, for prop plays, it's crazy. 
uh, was was the the two touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes. And I had a little bit on three, you know, over the two and a half, just to make sure. So, yeah, all in all, it was a very, very successful day for me. I had one tiny little loss, and that was uh, split with the Jarek McKinnon, who wound up getting 25 yards. I had to get under 23 and a half. Other than that, this game played out nearly perfect. And the best part about this game for me was that, you know, I made sure I said, look, I lean KC. Yeah. Small, small, small on KC. I lean the under really didn't do anything with the under. And I, I enjoyed the game just as much. And I tell people this all the time. This isn't me giving you guys a sales pitch or anything. It's me telling you straight out. Sometimes just watching the Super Bowl is better. I had nothing but props, really. You know, I'm sitting there with thousands of dollars on prop plays and combined on the under and on, on KC combined, I had less than a hundred bucks on them. So you sit back, you, you, you can enjoy the game. This is exactly how I thought it played out. I told you guys last night, I thought about putting and I didn't wind up doing it. I thought about putting a couple hundred bucks on exactly three points. Remember I said that last night, the score would be exactly three points just because I wanted a close game. I wish I would have done that. It paid out four to one, uh, but it's exactly what I wanted. Look, TomBartonSports.com, I gave that all to my members. We lost one play, one play tonight um, out of the uh, six prop plays that I gave to my members. I gave out free plays on Believe Network over on Twitter, Tom Barton Sports, all my free plays. We crushed it. Absolutely 100% crushed it. This is one of the few Super Bowls, because usually I go very light on the Super Bowl. It's one of the few Super Bowls I went relatively heavy on in total money out there. Um, And I'm walking away just ecstatic i i was cashing out as the game was going on oh cash that out <laughs> no put that in my bank account see you on wednesday so before we let chris tell his story here let me recap real quickly tom just he just said all the winners i had travis kelsey with a touchdown minus 130 that was a winner i also piggybacked tommy on the mahomes one and a half i got it at 220 that was a winner jose Volante, kenneth gainwell over four and a half carries Successful two-point conversion, Chiefs money line, Chiefs over, Chiefs money line, or excuse me, Chiefs and the over on a six-point teaser. All those cashed. If you listened into the show, you should have done well. Chris, how was your day? So, gentlemen, I want to start off by having a funny story regarding that first touchdown of the game. I was at a Super Bowl party here at a friend of mine's house here in Las Vegas, and uh, let's just say a patron there, one of my friends, had a sizable bet on Jalen Hurts to score the first touchdown of the game and was absolutely irate as Kenneth Gainwell allegedly got into the end zone on that play. Of course, we all saw the replay at his elbows down there at the half-yard line, basically. So it was uh, a huge, you know, uh, just a woo for him when it came to that. And uh, it paid off at, uh, I believe it was 15 to 1 it paid off. And uh, so it was a really nice pay payout for him as far as Jalen Hurts. Myself, Tim, and Tommy, not so good. It was tough sledding, to say the least, when it came to my prop bets for the game and also my uh, overall bet for the game. Now, to start off by saying this, I had a cross-sport bet, uh, you know, which I'm sure, you know, sound, you know, handicappers and betters probably don't recommend but hey I, I toss some on there anyway i had the uh total shots on goal for the vegas golden knights in their game against the anaheim ducks 
which was 39 against the first field goal in today's game. So 39, obviously 39. So, you know, 40 and over, I'm a winner in this game. Well, you saw, you all saw what transpired. Obviously, Harrison Butker has a field goal of, uh, I believe it was 43 yards there in the first half. And, oh, by the way, it was kind of funny because, right, uh, Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton and myself and all of us that were on the show yesterday kind of talked about the whole, you know, prop situation as far as, you know, clanking one off the crossbar or clanking one off the, you know, the goalpost. That's exactly what happened. And that 43-yard field goal goes no good. And so, look, I'm still alive at the time. I still had a chance. But it was uh, obviously completely disheartening for me that uh, that field goal didn't go through. And then later on in the game, I believe there was a 33-yard field goal that L.A. kicked. And so uh, it ended up being a loser. So loser there. I also had, uh, I, I, as I pointed out yesterday, I had Gray for a touchdown for Kansas City. And uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think Gray even had a catch in the game at all. Let me check real quick. Uh, oh, he had one catch for six yards. My bad. So, yeah, not, not exactly a big factor for uh, Noah Gray in this football game. So that didn't cash. And then I had uh, the uh, player matchup prop as well, too, where I had uh, the both wide receivers for the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously, uh, Devontae Smith as well as A.J. Uh, Brown. And I had Devontae Smith at plus money to score the first touchdown out of those two guys. Again, we saw what happened as A.J. Brown gets, you know, open in the end zone and catches the touchdown pass. So he ends up, you know, scoring the first touchdown. So that's a loser there. And then to top it off, gentlemen, the old uh, Kansas City uh, minus three and a half adjusted total, adjusted spread. That I took. I took the Chiefs minus three and a half, and you got the Kansas City Chiefs, right? You know, wide receiver slash running back. I didn't, I got. I was just so flustered, gentlemen, at the end of that game, and so kind of you know uh, disheartened across the board that uh, I did. It was just kind of like a second thought as I watched him kneel down at the half yard line, not to score. And look, I get it. They don't want to score because you don't want to give the Philadelphia Eagles a chance to, you know, come back and score a touchdown and tie that football game. But still, you know what I mean? It was just so hard. It was just so rough for me to see that happen. And then, of course, uh, you know, it played out like it played out where, you know, Kansas City drains the clock, kicks the field goal, and gets the 38-35 to win. So safe to say, Mr. Ugglesby and Mr. Barton, it was not exactly a C-win-esque type of day when it came to the prop bets and uh, the Super Bowl overall, as far as my uh, my betting opportunities. <laughs> Chris, you're a legend, man. You are a legend. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Finding ways to lose, guys. Finding ways to do it. <laughs> that book is in there. I'm telling you, that book's a, a, a golden, golden winner. <laughs> Chris Wynn, How to Find New Ways to Lose. <laughs> Tommy, you want to talk about bestsellers? That might be one right there. Yeah, I'm telling you, I could, I, you know, I might not be making money on my prop bets and my Super Bowl bets, but it might be from, uh, you know, from sitting down and penning, uh, uh, you know, uh, a little book action to uh, to get some of my money back, my friend. Then you get the movie rights, right? So you'll be exactly. fine. Tom, there was some news and notes from the NFL in the last couple of days. Uh, one of them involved, you know, I I talked earlier about how 
Shane Steichen is probably leaving the Eagles to go to the Colts. That should be announced sometime in the next two days. But there was news involving a Las Vegas quarterback or soon-to-be ex-Las Vegas quarterback. Yeah, but he's going to stay around for a little bit longer here, Tim. Uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting Derek Carr has rejected a trade to the Saints. So, it, look, he, he might still become a Saint, but he's screwing over the Raiders is what he's doing. He, he wants to be released. He wants to hit free agency and then test the market. The Saints will come calling. The Titans will come calling. The Panthers uh, and the Jets, right, are all potential landing spots. Look, the Saints, one way or the other, can still get Derek Carr. So I didn't understand why they were talking about a trade unless they believed, all right, well, the Raiders potentially could trade him somewhere else. By doing this, Derek Carr's telling not only the Saints but everybody else, yeah, just wait for me to be released, guys. <laughs> right? Don't worry. You don't have to trade anybody. Don't give the Raiders anybody. It's perfectly fine. Don't don't give the Raiders anybody. It's fine. I'll sit back. Give me my free agency papers. And that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, Derek Carr, uh, Tim, you said it, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier. You said, you know, they're screwing him. He's screwing them back. Yeah, I mean, that's, look, it, it's the cost of doing business. But it is kind of interesting that this is released which means Derek Carr, you, you know the, the Raiders aren't releasing this, right? So Derek Carr's people are releasing this information so we know where he stands. And I believe, so he also said he wouldn't give him an extension on the deadline. The deadline's tomorrow. They got to release him tomorrow. They're, they're on the they're hook for that, that money. So I expect that to be early morning news. And you said it, Tom, like, the way they treated him down the stretch, right, Chris? The way they treat bench basically benched him and made him inactive. He he has no love loss for this organization anymore, and he's he's going to go out and get his. That's basically the way he's looking at it. And you want to treat me that way after all I did for this team, for this franchise, dating back to Oakland? I'm going to go out on my terms. And you know what? Good for him, man. Oh, Tim, make no mistake about it. He feels spurred by the way he was treated here in Vegas with the Raiders. And and uh, to your point that you talked about, look, he's not going to waive his no-trade clause. And it, and he won't accept – it's Wednesday's actually deadline for more than $40 million in guarantees he's expected to, you know, to kick in on his current contract. So here's the deal. Like, the Raiders might release him as early as, like, tomorrow – this morning. Like, Monday morning. He might end up getting a release. So – and uh, – as there's only one team that was interested in a trade apparently, and that I guess that was I guess it was the Saints. But they wanted Carr to take a pay cut, and uh, you know, look, he turns 32 on March 28th. Uh, obviously, we all knew that he visited with the Saints last week, and you know, if he's released by the Raiders tomorrow, he would you know, for all intents and purposes, have have kind of a month's head start, right, to begin negotiations and to sign with any team of his choosing, you know, other free agent quarterbacks can't officially do that until the start of the new league year, which is on March 15th. So a little bit of advantage for Derek Carr, but uh, there is no question guys that uh, it sticks in his craw, uh, how things went out in Vegas. You saw that with the comments that he made during the pro bowl where he, you know, he's taking, taking a stab at the Raiders basically and blasting him a little bit. Uh, he feels like he's been disrespected. Um, and I, I, I would tend to agree with that a little bit. Look, I think Derek Carr, I would agree with Dan Orlovsky. I, I, look, I don't think he's – Dan Orlovsky says he's a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. I don't know what you guys think about that. I would say probably – I think he's top 15 in the NFL. 
and that's maybe being uh, very generous. But I, I but he's, but he's definitely, I, I think he's a guy that's a top, a top half of the league guy. I mean, I, I, I it, it maybe call me crazy, but I think that uh, uh, it shouldn't just be the Saints that that should be taking a hard look at Derek Carr. I think there's other teams that would absolutely upgrade their quarterback position if they took a stab at uh, at Derek Carr, having him as their signal caller. He's not forty million dollar quarterback, though. That's if you're looking at the guys that are getting paid that kind of money. Obviously, the Raiders made the mistake there in in, in uh, giving him that extension, and now they were looking for a back way out, especially after this season when Awire, when uh, you know you bring Devonte Adams in and you think that you're going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl, this is your shot. But look, we we've talked about dating dating back to pre Vegas. We've talked about just horrible front office decisions by the ever turning. The, the, what's the, it's that carousel door that keeps turning there in the regular organization. I blame the owner for that because, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure he, he – look, he's never going to be his dad, but that's okay. He can still be a serviceable owner, and I don't think he is at this point. And really, what, what does it come down to, right, guys? Look, they, did, they had an opportunity to extend Josh Jacobs before the season for that fifth year. They didn't do it. Now it's going to cost them money. So they're in their own little boat that they put themselves in, and you know what? This is the way it works. Either you play the game the correct way or you get burned in the end. Here's the thing, though, Tim. You know, more and more people are looking at the Raiders and their organization with the eyes that you just kind of looked at them with. So to me, in order to stop that, in order to stop that slide, right, from an organization that doesn't, in their minds, feel like, well, we have to rebuild doesn't in their mind feel like we're in a place to rebuild. The only way to stop that is one name, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Because whether it's a good football move or not, getting Aaron Rodgers in the silver and black, all of a sudden, nobody cares that Derek Carr left. Nobody cares Derek Carr left and rejected a trade. Nobody cares that you didn't give a fifth year to Josh Jacobs, right? It, Aaron Rodgers coming walking into the city cures a lot of ills for that now, let's just be honest, bad ownership group that it has been bad. He cures a lot. So I know the Jets are hot on Aaron Rodgers, and maybe he doesn't leave anyway, and the Titans have uh, had conversations, and so are the Saints and Panthers. I, I know. It's the same five, four or five teams, right? But the Raiders are, are the team. I think if you run it back with Ryan Tannehill and you're the Titans, you can survive. You pick Malik Willis. You, know, you have him in the back pocket. You can survive. I think the Panthers can go young. New coach, new direction. You could go young and you could survive. I think the Saints, look, they had Andy Dalton. They can go with Derek Carr and they could survive. I think the New York Jets can do okay with a Derek Carr, a veteran, uh, and kind of run this thing at Jimmy Garoppolo and they can survive. I don't think that the Oakland Raiders slash Las Vegas Raiders franchises, the ownership group, that came from Oakland and then now reside in Las Vegas. I don't think they can accept a loss in this spot. And the only way you get a win is Aaron Rodgers. I'm not even talking about on the field, guys. I'm talking about team perception to shut people up like you, Timmy, basically, right? The, right. the, the people that are saying he's done a bad job. Bring Aaron Rodgers in, and it whitewashes a lot of stuff. Bring Aaron Rodgers in, and it brushes away 
a lot of the mistakes that they made, at least in their own mindset. So once Derek Carr is released in the morning, I think it's all in Aaron Rodgers or bust. The problem is we've watched this team come up bust way too many times. Yeah, let me expand on that too and kind of respond to what Tim said regarding Mark Davis. Look, Mark Davis to me, I, I think he's a, a he's a decent WNBA owner. I think when it came to him seceding his father in Oakland with the Raiders and now obviously here in Las Vegas, I think that yeah, you know, he's somebody who I think he's good in the community. You know, I think he handles that aspect of uh, ownership well. But let's be honest, guys. When it comes to football, the guy's been a terrible owner. I mean, there's just no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He has just been awful. I mean, the whole situation regarding John Gruden overpaying for a guy that, you know, is quite frankly, in my humble opinion – one of the more overrated coaches in the history of the NFL. You paid John Gruden because of what he did for your organization and then what he did in Tampa back in 2002. I mean, it's just like like that situation was ridiculous. And now we have, you know, a recent history of either draft picks that, you know, went by the wayside because of their own, being, you know, guys like Ruggs who, you know, made terrible mistakes and, of course, in our, you know, uh, end up, uh, you know, not being with the team anymore. But you also have situations like Alex Leatherwood, right, where you have, you know, draft picks in which, you know, you went after people. And, look, I get it. You have you hired a general manager. But, look, that's on the owner. The, the owner hiring a GM that doesn't do a good job, that's going to – that's a check mark against you as an owner. So uh, the bottom line is this. I mean, I just don't think Mark Davis is – necessarily a top-notch owner when it comes to the NFL. I think he makes bad decisions when it comes to football. He's not his father, Al Davis, when it comes to that aspect of ownership. And it, it's it's ended up being detrimental to the Raiders, and so you end up you know, kind of uh, chasing your tail, so to speak, uh, which is what this franchise has been doing and, and having expectations that aren't necessarily realistic, in my opinion, across the board. And even that being said, you mean, I mean, they came into the season. What was the what was the expectations, right? What was the what was the best case scenario, guys? Right? It was Derek Carr was going to play like a big time quarterback, right? It was that you know him, you know, teaming up with Devontae Adams and and you know having Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and and Hunter Renfro and all these guys. And it was going to be an explosive offense, and they were going to be a team that you talked about when it came to the AFC West. That didn't transpire, right? I mean, they just it just just flat out didn't. They were they were absolutely one of the more disappointing teams in football, and you know it's kind of a direct result of, of the decisions that have been made, you know, throughout the last five, six, seven, eight years with this organization. So, uh, you know, with respect to everything, Mark Davis, as far as an owner, I think uh, I think the Raiders are just up against it because he's a legacy guy and. I just don't know if he's necessarily the owner. I mean, look, much like the Detroit Lions for, for the last like 30 years, in my opinion, you know, we're up against it when it came to ownership. I think that that's the same kind of situation with the Las Vegas Raiders. Tom, how pathetic of a fan base do you have or how pathetic of a fan are you that you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to solve all your problems? I mean, you have to really have no clue what you're talking about or what you're thinking about. By, by saying that that's the answer to all answers. I, it, it, I know I'm saying it facetiously because you and I have talked about this, and it's just, look, 
I could do a two-hour show by myself on how bad Las Vegas sports fans are. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. And I'll even group the Jets into this because you said the Jets. Another franchise that's poor ownership, just terrible decisions year after year. And they think Aaron Rodgers is going to change everything. The guy has, he should be retired already. If he does sign, he's got one year, maybe two left in him. And it's on the downside of his career. Why are, why are fans such idiots when it comes to football? Well, here's the reality, Tim, because fans, they don't want to deal with good football moves. They don't want to deal with good baseball moves, hockey moves, basketball. They don't want to deal with good moves. They want to be competitive right now, turn it around right now, get this done right now. The smart thing for the Raiders to do, let Derek Carr go. Goodbye. Hmm. Let Josh Jacobs go. You don't sign him, right? Goodbye. You Running back is a very replaceable position. Let these guys go. You already made a mistake signing Devontae Adams. Let these guys go. You don't go get Aaron Rodgers. No, no, no. You go take a guy like Darren Waller, who, by the way, is aging for a tight end. Go take a guy like Darren Waller. You package him into a deal, move up in the draft, and you go get yourself a new young quarterback. That's what you do. That's how you, you make this thing work. Um, but that would send the fans you know, crazy. The Raiders should be a last-place team for two or three years. That's okay. And now go build it back up. But the fans won't deal with that. Not in a new stadium, not in a new city, not in a new fan base. So you get into that position where the fans are going, hey, at least we're competitive. I've heard that for years from many fan bases. It's not just the Raiders. At least we're competitive. Hey, we're right in this thing. But you don't really have a chance to win. You don't really have a chance to, to, to make an impact. But you're competitive. You know, one of the one of the teams that I could say that about, and, and I know, you know, Chris had mentioned the Lions. Lions are, are inept, but what about a team like the Minnesota Vikings? Are you okay with being the Minnesota Vikings? A team that's constantly good, but you're you're never looking at them as a threat, right? Oh, are you okay with that? Because if the Raiders go get Aaron Rodgers for the next two years, they'll be good. They're not winning a division, they're not winning more than a playoff game in a fluke situation. But you'll, you'll be entertaining. You'll be good. Aaron Rodgers will sell jerseys. Aaron Rodgers will be on the on the program, the cover of the program. Aaron Rodgers will have every you know radio host and newspaper writer gushing over how great he is wearing a Raiders jersey. Oh, my goodness, the most athletic quarterback. Oh, he's going to have great quotes. He's going to let your team be relevant, Tim. But it's not a winning culture. And the fan base... And the ownership of the Raiders will not allow them to rebuild the right way. Chris, any any uh, st- strong backing words to state Vegas fandom and, and the idiocracy? Well, it's problematic because, you look, you want to have optimism, right? Because you're coming to a new city. You've got kind of a fan base that is already established when it comes to Raider Nation, right? When it comes to California and even beyond when it comes to the Raiders. So you're you're trying to establish, right, a culture, right? A whole kind of, uh, the word you just used, Tim, fandom, right? When it comes to Las Vegas and this team. Look, I get it. There's a lot of people that were Raider fans here in Vegas before the Raiders came here. But you get a general idea of what I'm talking about. It's kind of a, you know, it's it's, it's a it's kind of a weird dynamic. 
right? Because you're, 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 you're it's a brand, it's a city that has, has brand new franchise essentially, even though it's, it's an established franchise. So you got that going on. But again, I keep coming back to what I'm talking about, whether it's, you know, whether it's Mark Davis, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's, you know, what's transpired here. You had, uh, you know, a team for the last couple of years was supposed to be, that was supposed to be, you know, a, a team that was on the rise in the AFC and they've, they've hit some kind of bumps in the road. And in, in a lot of ways, like teams like the Lakers, where there's just, you know, uh, expectations that are not reasonable, that are not, that are not based in reality. You know, this, this whole idea that the Raiders this year and all the hype that was surrounding the AFC West and oh, they all, all, all the teams can make the playoffs and, so that was kind of an insinuation that that uh, the Raiders were going to be maybe a team that could go, go to the Super Bowl. You had some people, you had a lot of people in town, even some media people, talking about how this team could absolutely go to the Super Bowl, and that did not end up uh, reflecting in reality whatsoever. You know, so uh, to, to to your point that you're that you're making, Tim, yeah, I mean there is there is an element of. Uh, not being realistic when it comes to the fan base here with respect to the Raiders and with respect to a lot of teams, by the way, here that play here. And uh, again, I'm looking at this for, as someone who's covered teams here as someone who's been a talking head on radio here for a long time and, and who is not necessarily a fan of the teams here. Right. I don't necessarily root for UNLV or root for the Raiders or root for the Golden Knights. I'm just, you know, happen to be here and get a chance to observe these teams and therefore i get to observe their fans right and again the word you used fandom here in vegas and so yes i do think there's kind of an elevated expectation level that that some people have here that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of what the situation is and it uh absolutely applies to a team like the las vegas raiders let's take I our final Tim, well, ahead, Tim, before we go to break Yep. I, just one last, one last last point here. I think in the NFL nowadays, you have a quarterback that can win you the Super Bowl or that you think can win you the Super Bowl or you change courses. That's it. You know, there is a such a divide right now with all of these fan bases. There's no more middle ground. Can that guy win you a Super Bowl? If not, move on. And that's really what it comes down to when he comes down to the Raiders. And so I ask you, can Aaron Rodgers win the win you a Super Bowl this stage in his career? No, I don't think so. Right. Right. Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. We'll take our final time out. Plenty of other things going on at the Super Bowl. We'll talk about some of the fun, fun stuff, the commercials, the halftime show, all that as we round out into a Monday morning. It's Heatwave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay?
Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. All right. Tim Oglesby, Tom Barton, Chris Wynn. Super, super Sunday night. Just to recap, in case you somehow don't know, Kansas City did win the Super Bowl tonight, 38-35. Patrick Mahomes was the MVP. And now we move on to the offseason, which, as we just talked about in the last segment, could technically start tomorrow if the Raiders release Mr. Carr like we expect that to happen. But you know what, guys? We always save this portion of the show year after year to talk about the other things that happened during the Super Bowl. And I'll start with Tommy on this one. Tom, would you rather start with the commercials or do you want to start about start with the atrocity of a halftime show once again? <laughs> Let, let's go halftime, Tim, because you were texting me uh, during the halftime performance, we'll call it. I, I have a little bit different take than you. you. Why don't you give your take? I'll tell you about mine. <laughs> I said, I think this is verbatim through the text messages. This may be the worst halftime show ever. I said, you know, we always joke about it every year on the show. That, that was the worst ever. I think this might have been the worst from the from the outfits to the artist to her announcing she's pregnant. Like that had anything to do with the Super Bowl at all. And I don't dislike Rihanna. Let's, let's get that right out in the open. I don't dislike her at all. She has, she has some great catchy tunes. I just think that what we're seeing here is the progression of what was working for a while there in the in the the classic rock and the hard rock. And now they're going back to a hip hop ish R and B almost NBA style. I, I don't know if when you're looking at a demographic of the NFL, are, are we trying to just go this route? Because then it, for a minute there was what the demographic of most people are. So are they changing it now? Because we're still in the same era of what your age group is, right guys. So I said that tongue in cheek, but I also truly feel like, they're going the wrong direction here. And I think that nothing against Rihanna, nothing against Dr. Dre last year, nothing against the weekend. I, I just, are they trying to skew towards a younger demographic? Because I didn't see anything wrong with the, the Aerosmith, U2, blah, 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 what we saw there for years. And I even said, Tommy, I said, if you want to go mainstream top 40, Katy Perry was wonderful. Wonderful. I just don't understand what they're doing right now. No, it was definitely a wrong direction. Um, uh, but but while you thought it was bad, I just thought it was boring. You know, yeah. for me, I thought the floating platforms were cool. Uh, and then she started singing. And I was with people that actually knew Rihanna's songs. And there was two or three songs that they were like, we have no idea what she's doing. She was <laughs> lip syncing horribly. I mean, it was obvi- very obvious that she was lip syncing. She is a limited artist, we'll say. Right. Um, singing 30 second clips, 30 second snippets of all her songs is showing that she's got a good catalog. But when people don't know a bunch, everybody was kind of waiting for something. Who's going to be the guest? Right. They had prop plays. Is it going to be Jay-Z? Is it going to be Kanye? Uh, neither one of them showed up. All right. Well, there's got to be something cool. Right. Well, what is it going to be? Is it going to be you know a bunch of people run out onto the stage? No. Oh, no, that didn't happen. The weekend was downright terrible, but at least we get the uh, the meme of him like trapped in that <laughs> that case, right? I mean, <laughs> this was I don't think it was bad, Tim. I just think it is so unbelievably forgettable. I think in three years we're gonna go, I don't even remember it. I don't remember who played it. Rihanna is a at this point in her career, a B list person. She's not a, an A list 
celebrity. She's not that person. She's not cranking out new tunes, touring, which they usually don't get for the Super Bowl. But then if you go that route, you go get iconic. When J-Lo played, she had Shakira. When Rihanna played, I mean, when uh, uh, Beyonce played, she played with, what? Who, who was it, Katy Perry, right? I mean, there's usually two or three if you get the lesser names. There's not many people that can hold the Super Bowl by themselves. You mentioned, you know, good, good recent ones. Justin Timberlake did a good job, and that's not music I listen to, right? But he did a good job. I'll tell you when somebody does a good job. I don't think she was bad. But what was the difference between the Super Bowl performance that she just put on and going to one of her concerts? Nothing, right? I mean, it was flat. It was dull. It was boring. I mean, the music, for my personal taste, I don't like any of it anyway. But I'm just talking about it from a performance standpoint. I wouldn't say it was bad because I wouldn't remember enough to say it was bad. Tom, to top it off, I know I know you're not a subscriber to his tweets, neither am I, but somebody had posted it. LeBron was all over it. Al was the best ever. So that just says everything right there you need to know, man. Well, once again, LeBron has been wrong about just about everything. I put it out <laughs> a tweet. I got a lot of backlash for this. I, I put it out a tweet uh, oh, last week. And I said, LeBron is, and he, every time he opens up his mouth, he is the dumbest athlete I've ever covered in my 25 years in broadcasting. He is the dumbest. Every single sentence that he puts out is factually incorrect or just so overblown out the door. And you're going, what are you talking about? Right? I mean, what are you talking about? Yeah. So LeBron being on the side of greatest ever. Okay, sure. There you go. Well, I also heard well, that LeBron complained about the flag too. So, <laughs> yeah. What was Once wrong? again, wrong about everything. What was wrong with the direction they were going though? Was it did they think it was getting too old by having classic rock up there? I mean, U two is not classic rock, but that was probably. And I know I'm going back years here, but I'm just saying why why the skew? They're they're going for this NBA demographic, right, Chris? Well, I can answer that. I mean, I think I think that uh, it's just somebody making decisions that uh, you know has their own preferences and their own taste with respect to the NFL, right? I, I don't I don't think this is some kind of consensus thing. I don't think this is something that is you know deeply thought about it. Let's put it that way. When it comes to the halftime show, I would concur. I thought it was kind of boring, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not someone who's a you know some big time Rihanna fan. But I'm aware of her, and I'm also aware that uh, the peak of her popularity was probably between 2007 and 2017, basically, right? She's somebody who is, is absolutely uh, not necessarily in the forefront when it comes to uh, the music scene right now across the board. And, yes, she's had a lot of hits, and she's someone I think who's talented. And I don't necessarily have an issue regarding the whole lip-syncing thing. We, look, we understand this isn't a Milli Vanilli situation. We know that she can sing her songs, so I understand it's about the presentation and that you're, you know, it's the halftime show. It tends to have some lip-syncing at times across the board. But So I don't really have a problem with that. And I agree with Tommy regarding, uh, look, a lot of times with these halftime shows, guys, it's about the visuals, right? It's about creating this kind of over-the-top, visual type experience for people. Tommy you brought up the, uh, you know, the revolving platforms, which I thought was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of cool. And Tim, you brought up the costumes, right? The costumes, I mean, they were all right. I mean, it was, you know, it was all in unison. It was all uniform type of thing. I didn't really have a real problem with that. It was just a matter of like, I don't, I mean, I'm not, a, I don't know a ton of her songs and it was not, it wasn't exactly an electrifying performance by any stretch of the imagination, right? And when it comes to halftime shows, you got to have guests with you. 
It can't. Yeah. You guys made a great point when you talk about, you know, somebody carrying a Super Bowl halftime show, right? Yeah. If you're uh, Justin Timberlake, right? Or if you're, uh, you know, a band like U2 or even Bruno Mars, you could probably Prince. carry a halftime show by yourself. I don't think Rihanna is someone that can carry a halftime show by herself. She needed to have Eminem there, right, to sing that song that she did with Eminem. She needed to have Jay-Z there to sing the song that she did with him. She needed to have Kanye there, maybe, to do the song that she did with him. There needed to be more of kind of a, you know, I, I, it was just a very limited uh, set list as far as the songs. And it was just it just wasn't a, a great kind of halftime show that I was expecting. I mean, maybe, maybe great's not the word I look for because it's a halftime show, you know. But uh, I think the visuals are so important when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it was just, uh, you know, while, yeah, it was kind of cool to see those revolving platforms and to see the ending there. Uh, it was also kind of strange to the whole the whole pregnancy thing because she was obviously pregnant. You could see it. And, uh, and it didn't really have anything to do with, with, with the Super Bowl or with halftime. So I didn't really get that. I will say this, guys, though, at the Super Bowl party I was at, uh, a lot of the younger people, you know, people in their, you know, you know, 20s, early 30s, they were, a lot of them were bumping their heads to Rihanna's song. So, I mean, some, some people were, were a fan of the show. Me, not so much necessarily. You know, Guys, Tim, have, yeah, go the, ahead, Tom. The, 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 the real star was Chris Stapleton, who I literally brought Nick Sirianni to tears, to tears during the national anthem. I have to say, um, you know, it, it's been known for a long time. Best national anthem ever was Whitney Houston. I think Chris Stapleton just knocked it out of the park. I, I mean, that that also set it up for you go from Chris Stapleton making the head coach cry, not a tear, cry uncontrollably because of his rendition was absolutely out of this world to Rihanna's lip syncing garbage fest at half. The, the differences were just monumentally different. I mean, it just... Well, well Tommy, to add, to be... Yeah, but Tommy, to add some context to that also, Nick Sirianni's a guy, uh, his family has a military history. He's, you know, he's someone who, uh, you know, has, has a deep uh, appreciation when it comes to uh, veterans like myself and, and military. So that played into it as well. But I also would say, too, look, Nick Sirianni was kind of embracing the moment, right? He was, it was, it was uh, you know, a young coach, who, you know, obviously coaching in his first Super Bowl. So I think it was more necessarily those emotions that kind of overcame him to, you know, to lead him to tears as opposed to necessarily Chris Stapleton's rendition, which, look, it was it was outstanding. I was, I you know, we all saw what transpired with, with Chris and his performance of the national anthem. But I don't necessarily know if, if necessarily Nick Sirianni was uh, shedding those tears because of, because of the rendition that Chris gave. As right, but, but no, 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 but, but my point is that yeah. Chris Stapleton puts on such a good rendition. The right. visuals, we're talking about the visuals, visuals mm -hmm. of the head coach crying, the the just beautiful way that that was sung, and the feeling of it, and the flyover, which always happens, and the American flag behind you. You are like, wow, this is a performance. And that was a two-minute and whatever, two-second national anthem. She had an entire halftime and fell flat on her face compared to what he did. Guys, we got just a few minutes. I want to squeeze this in because it's always fun. Chris, favorite Super Bowl commercials? I was a big fan, gentlemen, of a little Nirvana action. Dave Grohl for Crown Royal. 
you know, highlighting some of his uh, favorite pop culture things and some of, you know, his favorite thing, whoopee cushions and all kinds of stuff as he was sitting there at the producer chair and uh, kind of reflecting and then uh, had the uh, crown royal towel pulled over the top. Uh, it was, look, I'm not someone who's really, you know, hardcore when it comes to commercials, I have to admit. You know, a lot of times I'm either on my phone or like doing or just conversing and uh, socializing during the commercial. So I'm not a big commercial guy, but I definitely did notice that one. And I also noticed, gentlemen, Harrison Ford, a little Indiana Jones is coming out, gentlemen. Dude, Harrison Ford is 80 years old. I didn't realize he was that old. Han Solo is getting up there, guys. And uh, yeah, so they did the preview, obviously, of the new Indiana Jones film coming out and uh harrison ford's a part of it so that was kind of uh a little a little nostalgia for myself uh floating back to the 80s and uh thinking about uh, harrison ford and some of his acting gigs back in the day tim Tommy, what'd you like what did like, you like tim i'll give you three here real quick <laughs> so my first one was i text you about it i text everybody about it gosh alicia silverstone looks great doesn't she yeah oh, she yeah. does unbelievably looks good and the one right after that, Ben Stiller. I thought that was funny. And then I saved this one for you, Tom. The Fixed on Pixel. Hashtag Fixed on Pixel. Because my girl Amy Schumer was in it. So I had a good Super Bowl as far as the computer. Oh, commercials no. Go, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was kind of funny, right? Hey, Tommy, Tim, that was kind of funny, right? Because you, you can, now you can like just erase people out of your pictures, right? And that was, that was great with Amy bringing up. Uh, she can get rid of all of her exes. Yeah. I thought the... Uh... I thought the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Dunkin' Donuts commercial that let it off was hysterical. Yeah, with Ben Affleck and uh, J Lo. Yeah, you know that was that was a good one. And I'll tell you be, again, I don't usually watch the pregame show, but in the pregame they had a pretty funny commercial that wound up leading to the John Hamm and the in the mayonnaise stuff. But everybody opening up the fridge, and you had Cookie Monster opening up the fridge, and you had Snoop Dogg, you know, and Martha open up the fridge. That was really cute because. Every time that they went to a commercial break during the pregame, it was somebody different opening up the fridge, you know, and going in there. And I thought that that was really kind of cool. Um, but but the, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial got me I, because I'm just going, oh, Dunkin' Donuts. You never see a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. And you, of course, it's Ben Affleck. Yes. You know what? We had a lot of this year. Movie commercials. There's like a million movies coming out. Yeah. Indiana Jones, like Chris said, fast. 26 or whatever they're on now do we really need i was gonna <laughs> you said fast 26 that's not what i'm talking do we really need another indiana jones with geriatric harrison ford <laughs> is running around i mean come on <laughs> we don't need that and do we really need a a a movie about how nike took advantage of michael jordan <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know yes yes but it's Matt Damon. Hey, Matt Damon, right? He's, he's and, and Ben Affleck. I mean, come on. Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. Chris, always a pleasure having you on the show. Let everybody know where they can find you, sir. Yeah, appreciate spending some Sunday night Super Bowl Sunday action with the, you know, the Heat Wave Sports family. You can find me on, all over Twitter at Christian Wynn. Also find me on uh, Instagram at CWin77 and on Facebook and Meta at uh, Christian W. Wynn and all over the airwaves here in Las Vegas on uh, pretty much, uh, you know, every every station you can find. Like, the, basically the six-man of Vegas sports talk radio in this town, guys. Always a pleasure. Tommy, another unbelievable day at the website. Let everybody know about not only the website, but everything else you're doing right now. 
Yeah, absolutely crushed it today. And guess what? I was driving uh, back home looking at games for tomorrow. I mean, that that's what my life is, guys. It's TomBartonSports.com. Jump on board. We're going to have college basketball, NBA. By the way, college basketball, I'm cleaning up on. College basketball, NBA, NHL. You're going to get all of March Madness. If you jump in right now, it'll take you right up to the beginning of March Madness. If you jump in, let me know. I'll take you right up and give you an extra week so you get that first weekend for free. All of that at TomBartonSports.com. Go check me out on YouTube. It's Tom Barton Sports over at Sports Garden Network as well. Hashtag SGN. Go check out Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network. Believe in the Ivy League and the Believe Podcast Network as well. Tom, spring training, three weeks away, my friend. I can already. I'm already on it. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get Willie Adamas on my fantasy. Team. <laughs> the, the, the biggest snake in fantasy history. That's me now. It is officially you. For Ryan, for Tom, for Chris, Tim Unglesby, have a great sports week. We'll talk to you next Sunday night at 10 o'clock. Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Right here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.